On this episode of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, we are joined by Megan Kane Mangle and Chris Zwemer, who is a physical therapist. Megan is an SLP with 25 years of experience with the adult neuropopulation and select pediatric diagnoses. She's a graduate of Dickinson College and the University of Maryland College Park. Megan has practiced in multiple settings, including acute care, inpatient rehab, subacute rehab, outpatient rehab, and is now in private practice with her longtime friend and colleague, Chris Swimmer. She is also a certified group exercise instructor, and she brings her experience with fitness and choreography to her work with individuals and groups at her practice. And her partner is Chris, who is a PT with 25 years of experience focusing on adults with neurologic impairments. Chris is a graduate of Indiana University and Acadia University. Chris has practiced in numerous settings, including inpatient, outpatient, and subacute rehab, brain injury day treatment programs, acute care, LTAC, and currently private practice. She's working towards her 200-hour yoga certification through Baptist Power Yoga and looks forward to adding specialized yoga classes to the wellness programs at Harmony in Motion. And this was a lovely conversation that I had with Megan. I've known Megan virtually through the SLP internets for forever, and I was so happy to have her and Chris, her PT partner, on to discuss their new private practice called Harmony in Motion and just really integrating some really cool concepts. And I think it's just... I love to hear stories of SLPs sort of thinking out of the box or branching out and what we can do with, with obviously our multidisciplinary colleagues. So hope you all really enjoyed this episode and I just love talking with them. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders and founder of the MetaSLP Collective and MetaSLP Education. This podcast is dedicated to delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere, while also recognizing that medical SLPs everywhere are doing the best with what they've got. Whether you're a new clinician seeking tangible tools for therapy or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is simple, to help you advance your practice without feeling overwhelmed or underappreciated. This means that together we'll build confidence, broaden your knowledge, and reignite your passion for our field. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride and be open to new ideas because at the end of the day, you and your patients deserve that kind of support. With that, let's dive in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. All right. Hello, Megan and Chris. Hello, Teresa. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having us. Yeah. So Megan, I'll have you start. If you want to just tell the people a little bit about who you are and why we're here today. Sure. Uh, my name is Megan Kane Mangle. I'm a speech language pathologist in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, and I am one of the owners of Harmony in Motion, uh, speech and physical therapy. And what else should I say, Teresa, that I uh, specialize in adult neurogenic the population and work with a select subset of pediatric patients as well, uh, mostly in the world of motor speech and myofunctional work. Awesome. All right. And Chris, do you want to tell the people who you are? My name is Chris Swamer. I am a physical therapist. Uh I am Megan's business partner. We work together with a lot of our clients um, with neurologic impairments, both speech, community reintegration, um, home um, safety, things like that. 
So I've been a therapist for over 25 years and Megan and I have worked together for a long time. Yeah. Awesome. So we just started our business in the last three years, but we worked together before that. This is, we are a well-oiled machine. Awesome. I love it. (laughs) All right. So yeah, Megan, tell me a little bit about what, what we want to talk about today. So we thought we would bring our perspective of working um, in a multidisciplinary team. Um, I know there are a lot of practices out there that have uh, maybe just physical therapy or just speech therapy. And Chris and I joined forces several years ago, and it's worked out very nicely. Uh, of course, it's wonderful to have a business partner to work through all of the nuances and some of the frustrations of getting a business started. Um, but we've really found um, a strength uh, in our partnership and what we can bring to our uh, Parkinson's patients, our patients who are recovering from stroke um, and being in the same room as each other. It's so easy for me if I see somebody who is maybe having some postural difficulties and I think that is contributing to say their breathing patterns and maybe having some voice issues or it's related to some swallowing dysfunction. I can just walk right over to my partner. She can come over and uh, lend her expertise and oftentimes we end up seeing a lot of our patients um, either in a co-treat situation or in back-to-back appointments. Awesome. I feel like oftentimes, frequently, people come for physical therapy because that's the first thing their doctors notice. And so oftentimes I'll see someone and then um, they'll want a sip of water while they're doing physical therapy and then they start coughing and uh, then we'll go down the road of asking questions about their speech and swallowing and realize that that's a significant issue that no one has addressed. So um, that actually, I feel, happens quite frequently because, again, everyone's concerned about whether someone can walk, but no one thinks about whether they can talk or swallow. Yeah. So uh, that really is significant. And I'll ask Megan to come over and talk with them. And then people are like, oh, yes, that is an issue. Eating, keeping hydrated and maintaining your weight, obviously, are extremely important and many of the people we see have been dealing with those issues and had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the beauty of it is being able to provide it in the same setting. Like you guys both do. I think so many times, you know, we'll, we'll notice things and we'll want to refer people on, but it's like, Oh, if we don't have anybody, you know, right in the, in our, in our building or that we have a good relationship with, it's like, well, you need this, but good luck finding them, you know? So it's so nice to be able to have everybody in the same building where you can just say, you know, hey, we have this going on. This is what's going on. And I know I have my, I have a son with some different, a whole bunch of different disabilities. And I just always love when they'll call and say, hey, you know, we noticed that this is going on, but we have someone in the building that's able to take a look at them. And I'm like, oh, hallelujah. It's not like another discipline I have to go, <laughs> go searching for answers for. So I, you know, I always love when people want to come together and create these multidisciplinary clinics and really provide that stability, you know, and of care. Yeah, it's been a great experience and, you know, we've really appreciated being in the private practice setting um, because we have all the time in the world, right? And we can sit there with families and be an integral part of that education and that counseling. And we really love helping people to try to connect the dots and find 
like-minded providers in the area. So we're working on establishing good relationships, right, with our ENTs, with VI, with mental health professionals, with the orthopedic community, um, and having that time and we're not rushing through. No one is sitting there with productivity standards hanging over my head. Um, so we've really enjoyed not only the collaboration that we've been able to uh, develop over the years, uh, but also the flexibility to practice in a way that feels ethical and valuable, not only to us, but hopefully to our clients as well. All right. Let's um, let's talk a little bit about, did we cover all the benefits that you guys wanted to talk about? Were there other specific benefits you wanted to dive into? Yeah, I think that we also want to you know, highlight the fact that there are so many ways to treat your clients. So not just in your therapy room. So we've worked on creating some programming outside of our four walls. And uh, most recently, we had a wonderful collaboration with the Carlisle Theater in our lovely historic district, um, specifically for my um, patients I work with who have Parkinson's and who maybe have completed LSVT or the Speak Out program. Um, when I'm working with those individuals one-on-one, I'm often using the visualization of, hey, imagine you're on a stage, there's a spotlight on you. You know, how does that change your posture, your breathing, you're projecting that voice. And as I was driving down the uh, main street in town, I just glanced up and saw the theater and I thought, wait a minute, why am I just pretending that we're standing in a theater? Let's actually do that. So I was able to meet with their artistic director and she was just immediately enthusiastic about working uh, with this group. So we met for six weeks and you know, she started off very slowly with some sort of simple voice activities, some movement activities. And by the end, there were people going out voluntarily on stage to do these performances, whether it was a monologue. Uh, we have a husband and wife team who did a duet together. So it was just a really fun way to take what Chris and I would be teaching in a skilled one-on-one therapy session and applying that in a way that probably got a lot of people out of their comfort zone. So again, fun for us, fun for the patients, and you know, overall great marketing because it was successful this year. We'll be able to go out to the community, work on finding some grant money, maybe get some media coverage um, because Chris and I aren't maybe the best on some of our marketing in terms of traditional routes, right? Like We have a social media page. You can all go and look at it. It's not extremely robust, but part of that is because the clients we serve really aren't on those platforms a lot. I mean, maybe a few Facebook users, probably not Instagram, definitely not TikTok. So don't look for me there. You're not going to find me. But we'll really find the grassroots marketing um, to be so helpful. And I'm sure a lot of other private practitioners would agree that you deputize your clients, your patients to go out and talk about what they love. And, you know, the schedule just really took off, which we feel so fortunate about because we really opened our doors um, right before the pandemic. So January, 2020, we're just getting things started. And, you know, then the world closed down for a while and we thought, oh, is this (laughs) actually going to work? Are we going to have 
jobs that uh, provide a paycheck. Uh, and indeed, because of the enthusiasm um, that we have from our patient base, it has grown very quickly. So Yeah, awesome. I love that. Uh, I think I, I love that. I, I love everything that you said, you know, just about these different creative creative programs. But what I think is so, you know, I was just thinking about like the principles of neuroplasticity and when it's something that really is something that's interesting to them or intriguing, or they want to actually show up, even though it's not quote unquote, you know, sitting in a therapy room doing drills. You know, those are the things that really, really stick. And I, it's, it's something that I go through with my son too, of having conversations with his therapist, like, if you're going to just sit in a room and have him point at pictures, he's not going to do a dang thing. Um, mm-hmm. If you make it actually part of an activity that really excites him and really lights him up, he will be the best, you know, the, the best client you've ever had. So I think there's definitely something to be said about really getting outside of the box and, and just doing something really engaging. And I think especially after COVID, you know, we were all hunkered down for so long and, and people are really just loving getting back out and doing things that were quote unquote normal before COVID. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, the the same group of people, you know, when we uh, went through the pandemic, they all got very adept at using zoom, which was wonderful in and of itself, but it's funny. I've had a little bit of a challenge, like pulling them back out because of the convenience. And, you know, I understand that sometimes there's a distance to be driven or they don't have someone to drive them. Um, so the theater group was really the first time that we all got back together. And I think everyone just remembered what kind of joy that we can experience uh, when we are together, we feed off of each other's energy. And, you know, it's also an opportunity for our clients to have their spouse with them and for both of them to participate equally, um, which is something that, you know, Chris and I find that a lot of times the spouses of individuals who have these chronic diseases who are recovering from stroke, that becomes their whole life is the role of the caretaker. Um, so we really wanted to provide something that would add some levity and some interest and just a new dynamic to their lives as well. And again, being in the world of private practice, we have that flexibility and that latitude to be able to provide that for the patient, for the family members as well. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I think the role of getting caregivers or family members involved, um, I think, tends to when you're in a busy clinic and when your therapies are isolated in their silos, that happens less and less. And whereas, you know, we'll take people on a a community outing or something and engage their family, their caregivers, whoever, and also provide support and resources for the caregivers um, because their lives have changed also very drastically. Yeah. I I think that's such a big thing. I, I, it's interesting. I think sometimes some patients, you know, work better without having their spouse or their caregiver family sort of involved in just some of the rote work. But then in order to have that carryover, there has to be that, that connection piece. And and I think that is a very delicate balance, but I think you really truly need to have both. You need to have the rapport with the patient, but then also be able to have it translate into the community, into the community or into the home, you know, where it's really needed. So, yeah. And it's been interesting to see, you know, the power of simply asking the question of how are yes. you yes. right, and just really looking at the eyes, whether you're talking about the patient or you're talking to their spouse. And, and I had a couple in the other day and the husband had had a, a fairly major stroke and is recovering well. 
Um, and I just noticed, you know, the wife would sort of be in our lobby area and just like kind of looking at her posture, just like look tired. And I thought he invited her over and I just, that simple question, I just looked at her and asked, how are you doing? And she just started crying, you know, and because nobody had actually addressed her in all of these months of his recovery. Um, so, you know, I've included her in, in conversations. Chris has too. And I think it's been very helpful. And, um, when, the patient came back uh, the other day. He looked at me and very sincerely said, I think you guys have saved our marriage. And I was like, oh, I got all choked yeah. up because, I mean, that wasn't, of course, part of my graduate school education yes. was how to save it somebody's marriage. Yeah. Nope, not not in the curriculum. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, seeing those questions and and kind of putting aside the, the data taking and the objectives and everything for a little while just to have those human moments, I think, goes so far um, to to show your support. And then they feel confident and just, you know, more engaged with you and your process. So I think it's just an important component yeah. and uh, just good to, to step back and remember, to ask those questions. Yeah, thank, thank you for bringing that up, Megan. I think that's such an overlooked part of what we do. And I, I had that exact experience this morning at my son's school you know, I have to go in and have a, a meeting with his teachers and case managers and all that stuff every so often. And they're sort of gut-wrenching, really, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure. I had a horrible morning with my daughter, who's a toddler, every bit of a toddler. Um, and I just got there and, and the the one woman at the table just said, how are you doing? And I was like, don't, I my tear, you know, tears welled up. And I was like, you can't ask me. But, you know, then we just had a good conversation of, you know, I was like, I'm so overwhelmed with my daughter. I'm so overwhelmed with my son. You know, there's so much going on with both of them. And it ended up being a great conversation because she's like, well, what, you know, what can we take off your plate? What would make things easier for you? And, you know, he's making so much progress with his AAC device. But I was like, you know, we need some more formal like parent training because I know how to use an AAC device, but I don't know my son's, you know, motor patterns that he likes for specific things. And so it ended up, it it broke up, broke open a really good conversation that I don't think we would have had had I just showed up at the meeting, like, tell me what he's doing, tell me what he's not doing. You know, it really was like, let's get to the heart of what's really bugging you at home and how can we make things, things better. So we ended up having like an hour long meeting and I just felt so much better. So there's mm-hmm. so much to be said about just having, you know, compassion with families and, and caregivers and, you know, how can, how can what you do help them and make things easier for them too? Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So we offer a little smattering, a variety of programs. So since it is just the two of us and we don't have front office staff, we sort of wear many hats. So we have a TheraX program that is a basically since Megan is a group fitness instructor um, in her spare time. And so what we did is we created an exercise class for people with any type of, of motor impairments, whether it be a neurologic disease, we have people who have severe spinal stenosis, any things like that. And we created an exercise class that focuses on stretching, strengthening, balance, coordination, motor planning, and uh, set it to music since Megan is good in the choreography department. And so they come and it's a group fitness class that everybody is just social with each other. We have a good time. And for 45 minutes, you know, every Thursday, 
people come and, and work on balance coordination and we implement, I explain as we're doing it, you know, why we're doing it, how this can relate to real life in terms of why these movements are important, why flexibility is important, you know, engaging postural control muscles for speech and voice quality in addition to just overall stamina. Um, so that's one of the programs we do. Uh, Megan can talk about her speak out program a little bit more. We teach, um, I teach an osteoporosis wellness program. Um, so for individuals to feel like they can safely go out into the world and engage in a community exercise program while making sure that they're optimizing their bone health. Um, we offer some, a Tai Chi program, um, and a Qigong. Uh, wellness program. Megan, um, do you want to talk about your speak out program, which really they've been doing the theater group for the last month and a half? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm sure a lot of speech pathologists out there listening are familiar with Parkinson's Voice Project, uh, who offers a speak out program and then the group version, which I guess used to be called the loud crowd. Now I'm hearing that maybe it's not called the loud crowd anymore. It has a different name. I need to get updated on that. Yeah, so that's, um, you know, the extension of the one-on-one therapy program. And it really dovetails well with the perspective that Chris and I have is that we always need to be able to answer the question, what next, yeah. right? There's always a graduation date and then what? And so a lot of these programs really were developed out of experiences where I would see somebody you know, in therapy for three months, six months, they do well, they met the goals. Then the next year I run into them at the grocery store and I can tell that they have lost all of their progress. And that was just so disheartening to me and probably to them, right? So we looked at our schedules and said, hey, from a business perspective, it also makes sense to really diversify. So we do take insurance. We have a few self-pay clients, but for those of you who are, you know, in private practice, everybody knows that insurance reimbursement goes down and down and down, but your expenses are going up. So it made sense for us to look at wellness um, because those are self-pay programs. Um, some of them are, are no cost at all. Some we just say, hey, make a donation, that's great. So we have a variety of types of classes, you know, a variety of rates that um, people pay because we wanted to make it um, affordable to everybody. But having that question of, okay, I'm done. And now what should I do? Just go to home and do my home program over and over and over again. We know that we're not going to have that behavior long term. And so we often think of ourselves not so much in just the therapy field, but really we are helping people to establish habits. We're looking at your own behaviors and trying to identify barriers that are preventing you from being successful. And sometimes it's just simply, wow, you know, these home exercises, we know they're beneficial, but they're boring, right? So what can we do to make it more fun? So you know, the group exercise class, it's really been a nice opportunity because it started off very slowly. Again, this is during the pandemic where people do not want to get together. So we fortunately have access to a large group exercise room. Uh, And at the beginning, we had two to four people for many weeks and many months. And Chris and I look at each other and be like, well, 
let's keep going. We're going to just be determined and this is going to work. And again, after a few months, it started to catch fire. And so now when people come, hopefully they're there because they want to see us and exercise, but they're really excited to see each other. Right. And so, you know, they get in there and they're chit chatting. And sometimes it's, you know, a few minutes after we should have started and we have to like, Hey, are you guys ready now? Um, because I think they would get together even if we weren't there offering the exercise program. So I think in terms of anybody who is in private practice, you know, working on developing that sense of community is so helpful. Um, we have a music therapist who works with us and she's doing a really nice job um, where the people that she sees, they're going out socially, right? During other times of the week or the month to get together. And it just makes life so easy, especially from a marketing perspective. We can sit back and let some momentum carry us forward. You know, but with that said, we're always looking for new opportunities. Um, there's an arts center here in Carlisle. So we will be reaching out uh, to them this month. We would love to offer some classes, again, both for patients caregivers, family members, um, almost like an an art therapy uh, type of group would be fun. And we have a couple of cooking schools in our area. So we would like to develop a program where maybe we were talking about um, adaptive ways to cook, right? So, you know, what type of equipment can you use? How do you read the recipe? Do you need larger print? Do you need audio? Whatever that means. Um, just to reach an audience um, that may not think they need therapy. I think that's something that Chris and I have discovered, especially with our um, individuals with Parkinson's, that they are being referred to us so late. Would you agree, Chris? Absolutely. Way too, I mean, they should be referred as soon as they're diagnosed or there's something going on. And yes, and they are referred very late. And we're talking about quality of life issues. So the reason we engage with all these different things is because I personally don't want to sit at home and do 20 repetitions of an exercise day after day right. after day. Who sticks with that sort of thing? Is to be varied in something you enjoy and something that has meaning for you. So if we can, if you don't, enjoy or engage with our music therapy class maybe you like our qigong class or maybe you like the group fitness class or maybe you're just really concerned about your speech and voice um anyway all those things we're trying to offer something to help people to live a higher quality of life even with these diagnoses because there's really not much in the community for individuals who have any kind of disability that allows them to feel like, hey, I am still living a meaningful, purposeful life. Yeah, yeah. I think that's our focus. And I have a few comments on that. I, I love the cooking class concept, Megan, because I don't know, I literally just interviewed um, John, the CEO of Simply Thick, and they just created this modern dysphagia cookbook. <laughs> and John, I'm giving you a great that. plug here. Um, but what's interesting is that they just talk about like normal everyday family recipes and then they modified them to Idsy. So it got me thinking about if you start doing cooking classes, you know, how do you, if some of them need, you know, some modified mm-hmm. textures and things, how do you take really good gourmet dishes and, and apply what they might need for a dysphagia diet to them? So um, just wanted to, <laughs> to throw that. Yes. Thank you for that heads up. I will look at that. Yeah. Yeah. But 
You know, I, I just, I love what, what you guys are talking about because I think, you know, obviously we know there's something to be said about community and having shared interests and, you know, people have, you know, shared interests and passions over things that they like, like cooking and things like that. But even especially once you get a diagnosis and I know like for me, it was so hard with my son for the longest time because he didn't have a, a, a fancy name. Like he doesn't have down syndrome or Angelman syndrome. He doesn't, we don't belong to a club. Right. And, and I say, mm-hmm. I say yeah. that because it was lonely for a while. Like yeah. I was like, well, he doesn't have this, but can I come to the support group meetings? And they're like, well, no, it's exclusively for this. And I was like, well, this kind of stinks, but you know, it wasn't until I sort of found other people that experienced what I was going through. And, you know, then we would go and do activities like that together with our kids. And it just, it makes such a big difference because you just learn so much from each other and sort of how to get through it and what works and what, what might not work for them. So another thought I had, have you guys, you know, reached out to all of the neurologists in your area and just said, you know, this is what we're doing. If you have any patients, as soon as they're diagnosed, you know, we, we'd love to. We have made the rounds um, and with varying degrees of success yeah, yeah. Uh, there yeah there is a, a physician's assistant um, in our area who um, I would say is pretty dynamic and um, interested in making sure that people have referrals early on um, and I'm not sure if it's just something cultural in our area if the systems are just overwhelmed like they are in many parts of the country. Um, but so we're trying to even reach out through other means. So like I said, we've got this theater group that we did. We've um, talked to, we did a lecture series at uh, the local library in April for Parkinson Awareness Month. There is a gym locally that offers the Rocksteady boxing program. So we originally just thought, oh, this is our referral source. You just get in contact with the physicians or their office managers and the referrals flow. And then we were waiting and waiting and nothing was flowing. So we really found that we had to find out who who are other audience members, who are the other influencers out there and kind of do a little back around way to um, get in touch with people. And, you know, we're not really here again, why these referrals are taking so long. You know, we always joke that just because they refer to us early doesn't mean they, the doctor has to pay for us out of their own pockets. I mean, it, it, I would think it would make the physician or that practice look really great because you have built this team for this person. And now that patient is happy and they are happy with that provider. So it's still a work in progress, but I mean, certainly during the pandemic, it was especially hard uh, to go in and, and do any visits. And, and even now, you know, practices are so, so busy. You know, you show up or you call ahead of time and sometimes you get the look like, really, I really don't even have 15 seconds to talk to you. I mean, Chris and I have been practicing long enough that we used to do our uh, little grassroots marketing effort for a different outpatient clinic uh, where we started long ago. And we would bring you know, lunch and you would sit down and you would have an hour conversation with the entire staff because they closed their office. And, you know, we are living in a different time. Yeah, very much so. In fact, it's very difficult to get any time with any physician in our area. Typically, we're speaking to maybe the schedulers or things um, who are great. And, you know, they might be primarily responsible for giving patients referrals, but they're also not medical personnel. So in terms of recognizing, you know, that that recommendation needs to come from the physician. 
um, but trying to get time with the physician to even explain for a few minutes the benefit of getting someone hooked up because we'll see people and we'll be like, well, I've had Parkinson's for 10 years. No one ever talked to me about going to therapy. And, you know, at that point, there's so many patterns that have been set that we are trying to undo. And so it's um, it's a battle we continue to. It's a battle we continue to. Right. Anything else? Did we cover everything, you guys? I do think anybody that obviously your um, audience is people who have speech swallowing issues, that doesn't come in isolation most of the time, right? So, so anyone who, any speech pathologist who's, who's seeing these individuals, I think, I mean, our focus on um, multidisciplinary and engaging our community in ways like the people at the theater who were amazing and excited and would have maybe never thought to in- create a program for the members of the community that we see. So I do feel like any clinician out there needs to realize they're not in a in their own silo and to realize they're, I think Megan and I are big on um, recognizing our own limitations and what we're capable of and what we're not capable of. And that there's a team of people always out there to help to meet the needs for these people and to not be afraid to say, you know what, I'm not good at this. This is not in my realm. Let's pull in this expert and see what they can add to the conversation. Because, you know, Teresa, if you think about your son, right, you want people from all different backgrounds because they can create an entire life skill set for, for, you know, your son and, and anyone else out there. So I think that we just are so passionate about the multidisciplinary approach and seeking out other voices that can add to the conversation and help people to live a much more fulfilling life is just, um, that's, I'll get on my soapbox or put my pom-poms up for that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 what you just said sparked, you know, sort of like the burden of care and, you know, we hear so much about caregiver burden and things like that nowadays. And it's so very real. And so when someone tells me, you know, oh, well, we have someone in our clinic that can see your son for this and they can just pass off all the information to someone that they know and they know what they need. Oh my God. Well, yeah. Like, honestly, one of the most like difficult parts for me is going through the intake process again because I have to relive everything that happened. And I know it's, it's tough to avoid, you know, we obviously have to get case histories on our patients and figure out, sort of put all the pieces together. But as someone that's telling that story over and over and over, it's very triggering and traumatic to me. So when I can just bypass that loop and someone knows my child and knows them well, and can just say, we have someone that can help him and they know him and, you know, we trust him and it's, it's so wonderful. So I'm just, I'm the biggest advocate for so many you know, multidisciplinary clinics, and I just wish they would start popping up at rapid speed everywhere. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think for us, being that we're a private practice and individually owned, we have flexibility to do a lot of things that um, other people may not have. So before we opened our practice, we were fortunate enough to work at a different clinic where we also had flexibility and can communicate. And for most of my career, I've actually been fortunate to be in those situations. Um, 
that isn't always the case when you have people of different disciplines. So it, it also takes um, humility, I think, on the part of the clinician to also say, you know what, let's bring in someone else to help with that. And the other thing I want to point out is there are things that Megan will see when she's working with some of our patients with speech and swallowing that maybe I don't recognize when I'm doing things standing and and things like that, like breath support and postural control. I mean, I would like to think that I catch all of that, but maybe I'm focused somewhere else. Whereas there are things that I'll see and I'll be like, Megan, like, do you think cognitively they're, you know, like, are they missing some things? Because when I have them do a motor task, something, you know, or functional test, something's falling through the cracks. So again, having just another pair of eyes and just to say, Hey, what do you think? Okay. Yeah. Let's look into that further. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I I think, you know, being in business, um, you know, coming from an approach that says, you know, again, we don't have all the answers. So let's find other like, for instance, we just uh, kind of partnered with another uh, PT practice in town, very, again, like-minded, and their specialties are slightly different than ours. So I never want to have this mindset of scarcity where everybody who calls, we just gather them all up, whether we have the skills or not, we just want the business, right? Um, and patients are so appreciative of that. Yeah. So, you know, know your own voice and your own mission and your own vision and if something starts falling outside of that scope, then being comfortable and confident with finding other partners and referring out, because that only reflects when reflects positively on you and your practice. All right. I love this. It's been a great conversation with you guys. Anything, any final thoughts, anything else you want to add? No, we just really appreciate uh, the opportunity. And uh, Teresa, you're an amazing person with uh, everything that you do with uh your professional life, your personal life. I understand you're working on your PhD now. Is that didn't right? have enough going on. So yes, you did not. <laughs> so let's, let's add that to it. So thank you for um, being a voice of inspiration for speech pathologists and other therapists um, out there in the world. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying that, Megan. I know, I know we've, we've known each other for years, it seems like through the internet. So it's so nice to actually see you face to face, but yeah, I think, yeah. I think this is such a beautiful, I think, symphony of both art and science, right? You know, what we do can be very, very sciencey, but I love how you guys have sort of integrated it into the arts and into theater and, and cooking classes and things like that. I think it's just a beautiful, yeah, symphony of what, how to really get our patients engaged and, and yeah. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Of course. And that's a wrap for this episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you'd like to download the show notes from this episode, please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email list so that you'll never miss another episode. If you do like what you hear, then please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or share it on social media with your friends and colleagues because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at TeresaRichard.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week.